Sally, good morning, Bethany North. It's so good to be back with you after it feels like a little break uh, from the snow, and I was uh, absent last weekend. I have the privilege today to continue in our sermon series. Before I do that, we'll just point out something in your bulletin uh, as we prepare for the season of Lent. A couple of things that will highlight. Lent is the 40 days of preparation before Easter and some things that are exciting. Uh, first of all, we'll have an Ash Wednesday service at Green Lake and Pastor Raul will be preaching that for the whole community. We'd love to invite you down to that. Uh, we'll have these 4 and 40 dinner groups. So if you're looking to get more connected to others, there's four dinners happening in the 40 days of Lent. Uh, 11 different homes are part of that. Now they just need you to say, yeah, I'll come four times in, in six weeks. And so signups are happening today. And then finally, uh, a new initiative we're really excited about is during the season of Lent, we're going to transform my office, the office I share with Raul over at the junction, into a 40 days of prayer room. And we're going to uh, ask for 40 days of continuous prayer uh, at the junction, which is where North staff offices, the former Sugar Strip Club. We want to be praying in that uh, prayer room for 40 days during Lent, uh, writing on the walls, uh, the people that God is putting on our hearts, the needs of the world. We want to be a community coming to God in prayer during the season of Lent. So more information will be coming next week via e-news and next Sunday service to how to sign up for that. And I just want to just prime the prompt because we're pretty excited about the chance to come to God in prayer for all he wants to do through us as his church. So be watching more for that. Uh, Let me say a prayer and we'll begin. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of your scriptures. Thank you so much for this wonderful book of Romans, which we've been in for months. And now, Lord, as we get ready to conclude over the next several weeks, we pray that you would focus us on what's most important, these truths of who you've made us to be, fully alive by your power. Lord, would, would you allow us to receive that truth and live in such a way that we're displaying it to the world? Lord God, we know that, like Paul, you make us, women and men, able to share the good news of your glory. And we know, Lord, that you're calling us even now to experience more of yourself and share it into the world in which we live. Open us up now, Lord, to your revelation. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, Sharing Christ is your sermon title today, Romans 15, the second half. Last week, Pastor Ruth did a wonderful job with the first half of Romans 15 on this kind of essence of unity. Today, we're really going to focus on this uh, notion from the second part of Romans 15 as we near the conclusion about sharing Christ, sharing what's most valuable. In 2004, upon the birth of my daughter, Avery Marie, 15 years ago, almost to the day, a friend came over with a gift to share. My friend said, hey, there's this company, you, you maybe haven't heard of it, it's 2004, it's called Google. And then with your firstborn, brand new baby, I bought you a share of Google. Now, he's like, I'm going to hold on to it for now, but it's yours, it's a share of Google, 2004. I'm like, cool, all right. I was thinking maybe diapers or a meal for my wife and I, but a share of Google sounds good. Now, little did I know... In 2004, he paid about $85. Now, that share of Google in today's worth uh, has increased 1,800%, about 20 times the value. That single share of Google, $85 from 2004, has increased in value. Now, it's worth about $1,600. It's incredible, right? Like, what, what a gift to share. Here's the problem. We haven't actually seen the value yet. We haven't actually received the share yet. And though I give my buddy a hard time, his life was full of a whole bunch of transitions. He held on to the share for safekeeping, and now it's 
It's gone. Like there's no share in Google. I'm sorry. The point is, the stuff that we feel the most value around is the stuff the scriptures say is what we must share. Because if you, if you haven't received, a, like for me, the share of Google, there's actually, other than his thought 15 years ago, there's not a lot of value there for us, right? Uh, he listens to some of these podcasts. Maybe his heart will be stirred to, to make right with that share of Google. No. But Paul turns here as we're, as we're near the finish line of Romans. And, and the essence of Romans 15 is about sharing Christ. It's about sharing the very thing that you hold most dear to you. Now, for a recap, if you're new, don't, don't worry, you can catch up. Romans is, is kind of the quintessential book in the New Testament about our faith in Christ that wasn't one of the Gospels. Paul, uh, the evangelist, he, he wrote down Romans so that the church in Rome would know how to practice the faith. The first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul makes this slow, kind of methodical description of this is who you are in faith. You are lost apart from Christ, but in Christ you're saved by grace. This is who you are. And then in Romans 12 and 13, Paul spends a couple of chapters talking about our behavior. This is who you are, and now this is what we do as a Christian church. And then Romans 14, 15, 16, kind of the conclusion, Paul is like, and, and this is what's most important, that we learn to share it, that, that we learn to find value in, in this new relationship with God, that we might live into the, the great command, loving God and loving others, the great commission that we as disciples, women and men, are called to go and tell other people to share it. Paul's like, this is what I want to leave you with. And so we're, we're, we're mindful that sharing our faith is a really important thing. Remember what the Psalms say, sing to the Lord, praise his name, each day proclaim the good news that he saves, publish his deeds among the nations, tell everyone around the amazing things he does, great is the Lord, we know this, yes, proclaim, publish, tell, but why is sharing our faith so difficult? It's simple. It's so difficult because for most of us, even some of us in vocational ministry, we're not sure that we have that power. The sharing faith is, is, a, is a something for someone else in a different part of the world or a different church. Or, like, we're not sure that we have that power. But Paul comes to us through Romans 15 to say, not only do you have the power to share your faith, you have the empowerment to go and tell others that they have the power to. You have the empowerment to live life on purpose. The same power in Romans 8 that the raised Christ from the grave lives in you. And so, Paul says, we share our faith by receiving the power that Christ wants to share with us and then sharing that value with others. Something valuable that we don't actually give to someone else really doesn't have much value for them. And so Paul says today through these verses from the end of Romans 15 that we will share Christ through his power and through his progress and through praying, through prayers. Power and progress and prayers in order that we as a church would do a better job of sharing Christ, living into our identity. This is who we are. This is what we do. And now what, says Paul, We've got to share Christ. 
So let's look at the first point of our outline, that the power, the power to both press in and push out. The first five verses of Romans 15, 14 through 19 that I'll be teaching on, there's, there's real power. Paul says here in, look at verses 14 through 19, we just read, look at the beginning, verse 14, I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. I'm convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with the knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet, I've written you quite boldly of some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me a priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God, I'll not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. We'll pause there. So there's power, says Paul, to both press in and to push out. It's interesting here that he says at the beginning of 14, he's like, I'm convinced that you're full of goodness to instruct one another. Like you already have the basics of what you need. Interesting. Now the church in Rome, Paul didn't plant. Compared to a lot of his other letters, he's written to the churches that he, he knows the leaders. He called these leaders forward. He, he preached. In some cases, he spent years there, but not the church in Rome. No, he wants to go and visit. The church in Rome, scholars said he was probably formed at Pentecost. The Christians in Jerusalem, when the Spirit fell in Acts, people so full of this new power, they went home. And they started to gather in their homes. And they started to, to, to branch out into the center of the Roman Empire. And it's phenomenal. Like the power is God's, not our own. And so Paul says here, he's like, I'm convinced that you have what you need, but I want you to ask for more. Like, don't stay the same in your faith. Verse 16, be, be sanctified, which, which means that we're called to continue to, to, to receive this power of God, to share the power with others, or to, to both press in and to push out. That the life of faith is one where we're constantly called to be going deeper towards Christ, to hunger for more, to ask Jesus for more through the Spirit. God, I know that you've given me what I need, a gift of grace. If I'm in faith, it says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, Romans 8, lives in me. And yet I want to be living this sanctification journey, more of you, Jesus, more of the spirit in my life, more, more obedience to Father God. Lord Jesus, give me more. And this ask me for more is a, it's kryptonite towards the apathy that can so easily wrap itself around us. This apathy of like, oh, you know, I've, I've already accepted Jesus and I've become kind of a cultural Christian indoctrinated to this just kind of benign, you know, powerless faith. And I, I'm firmly convinced when we're tapped into the power of the Spirit, when we're saying, I want more, Jesus, give me more of your Spirit, more hunger, more experiences, more truth, more obedience. Like when, when that power is being displayed in us, the world sees it and they, they're like, oh, I, I want that power too. It's only when we tap into the power source of pressing into more of Jesus and the Spirit in our life that allows us to push out into the world. Because when we step out trying to be obedient and trying to tell people about Jesus without pressing in of what the Spirit is wanting to do in us, it doesn't look like, it doesn't look like goodness to the world at large. 
And, and the world sees that. They've got a filter. They, they're not interested in being part of our mandate for the Great Commission. They're interested in power. And so if we're going to have a witness to, to, to display Christ to our children, to display Christ in our marriages, to display Christ to our roommates, to display Christ, all of that must come in this twofold nature of pressing in for more of the Spirit in our life and desire then to, to push out to who Christ wants us to speak freely of him to. Do not become content to merely be saved. But press on, push on to be sanctified. The message translation of this text says, I'm simply underlining Paul's rights through the translation, how much I need your help in carrying out this highly focused assignment of God that, that, that the outsiders can be presented as an acceptable offering to God made whole and holy by God's Holy Spirit. This is, the, this is this ask me for more. I want more power, God. Will you present me as whole and holy? Will you use me, my service to you, God, to tell other people? So, so press in and know that in my work, God is working. Paul says in verse 18, I'll not venture to speak of anything about unless what Christ has done in me. If you don't have the power and you're trying to talk about a powerful God, you look like a fraud, so, so what do we do? We, we press in. I have fresh experiences with the Holy Spirit. Fresh encounters of worship. This is why we, we listen to worship music. This is why we come to worship. This is why we open our scriptures. Not trying to just be religious. No, we're going to lay that one on the idol. God, I want more. Give me the power, God. Because there's the only way to live as a Christian is to be experiencing his power. Press in. And know that that, that unless he's doing it in you and through you, that you'll look like a fraud to the world around you. Start with what you hunger for. Press in. And then secondly, push out. Your life is your witness. Push out to be constantly receiving Christ and dispensing. And so I've got this question for you. It's in your outline too. Is God leading you this morning to press in or to push out? There's power either way through the Spirit. It's, it's okay. I push out, Scott. No, 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 no. I, I just need a fresh encounter with the Spirit. I need, I need more of the power. Then name it and speak it. Speak that hunger. I mean, that's what the scriptures are so full of, that God feeds hungry people, that God heals desperate people. When you become desperate less, when you become immune to the power of God, you become pharisaical. When you start to feel like, oh, I've got the power, I've got history on my side, I've got obedience, I tithe, I come to church. The Spirit's saying, I want more for you. I want to pour myself into your life. I want you to tap into that. So name it if you're hungry for more spirit in your life. If you're just in the room this morning or listening later and you say, I need a fresh encounter with God's power, name that, press into that. And then if you're connected to the spirit, if you're experiencing the goodness of God, obviously a work in progress, like Paul says here, but you're saying, you know, I, I'm connected to the spirit. Then Paul says in verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the spirit of God, this is how we proclaim. This is how we share. There's power 
I'm imperfect myself, but there's a power that's working in me and it's, it's uniting me uh, to, to my, in my marriage or, or in my work life or with my children. And so when we start to name that, there's a, there's a, a witness to the world. Romans 1, at the beginning, Paul set this up. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so the life of Christ is meant to be powerful. A sermon I was listening to months ago, uh, one of these uh, speakers was talking about being invited to this conference and showing up at this big fancy hotel. And, and he and his wife are really honored. They were excited. They check in and the power goes off. And they're sitting in their room in this beautiful place with no power. And then they can see the more humble, you know, hotel chain across the street, the Best West or whatever. And, and they're having, it looks like a party. The lights are on. He can look down. It looks like people are like dancing in the lobby. And he looks at his wife. He's like, what should we do? She said, I don't care what you do, but I'm going to the Best Western. They go over there and they talk to the manager and the manager says, oh yeah, you know, we were prepared. We, we had our own power source. We got a generator and, you know, like if we're not powerful, we won't have much of a witness for the world. There's nothing to share. Go to where the power is. Go to where the power is. In, in college, our, uh, I lived with eight guys for a couple of years, really uh, wonderful time of community and we had this ice storm in Spokane in 95 96 and we lost power for a week week without power eight young men in one house your mind just starts to do the math of everything it's like that doesn't sound pleasant well around this theme of like go to where the power is some of these girls who we knew their they their power got restored sooner than ours and they said hey we you know we have food we have hot drinks we have warm showers do you want to come over but A, we were single and they were beautiful, but B, they had the power, right? So it's like you always go to where the power is. So if you're in a place where you're feeling powerless, it's okay. It's okay, but hunger for more, hunger to experience it. And if you're in a place where you're like, man, the Spirit's doing something with me, then know that God wants you to share it. Share it, the power. Secondly, Paul continues into this word about progress and not plans. There's a warning. Paul is making all these plans for his ministry. In 19b all the way through 29, Paul kind of lays out his plans. Listen, he's like, I, I've, um, <clears throat> so from Jerusalem, he says, all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It's been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it's written, he quotes Isaiah 52, those who are not told about him will see, those who have not heard will understand. This is the nature of evangelism, that there's something to share. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. He's writing to the people in Rome. Remember, he didn't plan it, but he wants to go. He lays out his plans. But now, there is no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through Rome and have you assist me on my journey there to Spain after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. 
for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to him, or to them rather. For the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task in Jerusalem and made sure they've received the financial gift, I'll go to Spain and I'll visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Well, this is, this is really interesting. This is all biography here. Paul just kind of steps aside. This is a Rembrandt painting about Paul later in prison uh, with, the, with the scriptures and the sword of truth. Some say he's in jail. Some say he's pinning his, his, his next letter. But Paul is like kind of laying out his, his plans. He's got this detailed plan. He's taking an offering from the churches he's planted in Asia Minor back to Jerusalem. He's going to stop in Rome in the full measure. And then he's going to step on to, to Spain. And we have a map here because it's pretty interesting. When he says from Jerusalem to Illyricum, that's about a thousand miles. Jerusalem, of course, is where uh, Jesus lived and ascended back into faith. And, and in Israel is where Paul became a Christian. His eyes were, were open to the power of God, and he wants to, everyone to share in it. And so he starts to make different uh, journeys, different, you know, these, these trips where he's planting churches throughout modern-day Turkey and, and Greece, and, and, and the farthest he makes is Illyricum and modern-day kind of Albania slash Croatia. And in eight years, he takes the gospel about a thousand miles He's writing to the church in Rome, which we know is in the boot there on Italy. And then his desire is to go to the far western world in Spain, another thousand miles from Italy to Spain, which in this day and age, 2,000 years ago, was the, the farthest their imagination would take them. So he's making plans. He's like, you know, see what I've done with my ministry, and it's been powerful, but now I'm planning to go the rest of the way. The thing is, is like we know, if you want to make God laugh, what do they say? Tell him your plans? But all of Paul's plans don't, I mean, he didn't actually have a plan to make it to Illyricum. That's the Macedonian vision. You can read Acts about his plans. He should have been well-versed that the life that we attempt to live in faith will be full of disruption. And I won't ask for your hands, but imagine if I did. Has anyone's life been disrupted in the life of faith? This is our reality. And so though Paul is busy making plans, the gospel is certain that there will be progress. Because nothing is certain in life of faith. Plans may change. He's laying out what he's going to do. But but the reality is this. Even when we can't figure out the plan, when we're in Christ, we can be certain of the progress. It's really, really huge. It's huge. When we can't figure out the plan, when we're in Christ, we got to trust that the gospel is working in me and through me, that, that, that there's progress. And this is what we claim that God, you know, I, the plans that I've made, often there seems to be a mess. Paul thinks he's going to show up in Rome and be in fellowship. Guess what he does when he's in Rome? He's in chains. He's a prisoner. And so when you're in life and you're in a season where you're, in, you're chained up, you're in good company. Because the thing that you thought life would be, often God can work through your disruptions. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Because when we are disrupted, we're hungry for more of his power. 
When we're in the darkened hotel room, we're looking for the lights on somewhere else. And so if you're in the room this morning feeling like, man, the power's gone out or the plans are disrupted, the Spirit of God is reminding you that progress can be certain even when your plans are disrupted. We have this verse we quote in the Christian church, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, Darcy. Isn't that beautiful? All right, that's a prophet, Jeremiah, writing to the people of Israel in captivity because they hadn't been obedient to Christ for 400 years. And so they got sold into captivity for 70 years to learn obedience again. So the plans will fail, but the progress is certain with Christ in us. But I love here pointing out, and you can study on your own, did Paul ever make it to Spain? It's conjecture. The scriptures don't tell us anything about him arriving in Spain. There was a church historian by a guy named Clement who some decades after Paul's life wrote that Paul went to the furthest reaches of the kingdom. So there's some conjecture that Paul did, in fact, when he got out of prison, he did, in fact, go to Spain. Scriptures don't say it one way or the other. Spain to him marked a desire to those that didn't yet know Christ. When Paul's talking about Spain, he's not talking about eating tapas and taking in a bullfight. I mean, he's talking about who in his life didn't know Jesus yet, who in his life was not connected to the power source yet. And so he's making plans that turn out either not happening at all or happening totally different than he assumes. But the progress is through his life, people encountered the share of Christ. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I'm really convicted about why I don't share Christ more. Like, who's, who's your Spain? Who, who's the furthest out person in your family that maybe you've given up on, that the Spirit of God wants to encourage you this morning? Who's, who's the person that you find disunity with right now that it's hard for you to share the love of Jesus? What's your reason for sharing Christ or not? What's your reason? Says Paul, it's because he so loves these people, he wants them to experience this, this new power through the progress. I've been taking part in this learning cohort called Saturate the Sound. And Saturate the Sound is a cohort learning of a bunch of pastors, different denominations, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, all around this goal that Habakkuk 2 talks about, that the knowledge of the Lord would, would so fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Saturate the Sound, growing the church, growing God's power. They're all different churches just kind of expanding on that. It's interesting because in the 52% of Christians in Seattle... Only 25% are actually connected to a church. 10% of our community are atheists altogether. Another 22% of people in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our churches are uncertain about what they believe. And so as we learn more about Saturate the Sound, one of the most powerful tools to share Christ is just sharing your story, being able to tell the people that you love about why Jesus matters to you. You should know your story of faith if you're in Christ. Every parent in this room, you have homework to do. You should share your story with Christ to your children in the next 72 hours. 
We make assumptions that we have this value and it's going to be somehow imparted without sharing it to the next generation. We are called to be saturating the sound, dreaming and sharing Jesus with those closest to us. I'm here in this room this morning because somebody identified me as their Spain. Because I was a punk kid that had written off God and written off the church. But somebody in my life said, I love you enough to share Jesus with you. Not an evangelistic campaign, certainly not a handout, but just loving me and doing life with me. Inviting me into a room to just talk about being an adolescent with some other boys of all different ethnicities, but learning that in Christ we found unity. Which is Spain. Who, who is Christ putting on your heart even now to be identifying that even if you have plans for these people in your life and being a witness for God, that it's the progress that the gospel guarantees in your life as you just take small, certain steps towards more of Christ in your life. And finally, this is the invitation Paul gives to the church in Rome about prayer. The prayer is really participation in the struggle. Paul says here in the conclusion of Romans 15, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the Lord Jesus and the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. I love that. Join me in the struggle by praying to God for me. Pray I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Prayer is participation in the struggle. Prayer is wrestling with God towards more of this power and pressing into, pushing into the world around us, of knowing that as plans kind of crumble in our lives, we want to trust God with progress being made. Prayer is what makes it all happen. And that's why in the 40 days of of Lent, we as a church want to be on our knees praying for the world around us, praying for the church, praying for people in our family to experience the power of God, praying for who to invite to our Easter Sunday services, just praying and joining in the struggle because this is where our power comes from and the progress is certain as we pray over this. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.19, for it is our hope and our joy or crown, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? Is it not you? Christ's power and his progress and his prayers as we live this life happens as we share Christ with others. The, the, the very power that we claim and we want to experience will happen as we share Christ with those closest to us. This is where the sharing comes from. What's valuable must be shared. You've probably heard about Bill Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates, their giving pledge They've come to different billionaires. Maybe some of you have been approached by them. Certainly I haven't been, but maybe some of you that, that economically that what, what is valuable must be shared. So uh, the Gates Giving Pledge to date, 187 signees have pledged $365 billion to eradicate poverty and, and sickness across the third world. It's easy for us to say, well, that's not me. I'm not a billionaire. But in Christ, we have these riches. Remember Colossians 1, 27. To them God has given to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so spiritually, friends, there, is, there are people in your life, in your home, 
in your, in your closest proximity who need to experience the power of Christ? Will you share what is most valuable to you? There is a scholar, um, a missiologist, a missionary in India, a guy named Donald McGovern. In 1955, he wrote a book called The Bridges of God. And it was pretty fascinating because as, as the West was trying to share Christ into the third world and certainly where the spirit of God is moving and growing the church right now is in places like India, Asia, South America. But in 1955, what was, so, what was so instrumental in his book, The Bridges of God, is that despite all the money being put into evangelistic outreach, McGovern's study taught people that less than 5% of people in India at the time were coming to Christ through a neighbor or a coworker. Less than 5%. Basically, most people don't come to faith through strangers. But rather, 60% of new believers in the faith were coming through friends and family. And another 20% coming through the church. That's what missiologists were learning in India. And then in recent decades, a guy named Gary McIntosh in Biola has been saying the same thing. That we are, in fact, the very bridges of God. That, that we are the ones closest to us. We have a responsibility to, to experience God's power and to share it. To trust that there's progress, even as plans come undone, and to be praying for those closest to us in our family with our friends. So when we think about sharing Christ, our mind kind of jumps to, oh, I got to, you know, kind of talk to the mailman tomorrow. And in actuality, we're called to, to, to share Christ with those closest to us, trusting that it's going to take a very long time. McGovern writes, even with changes in current nuclear family, family relationships are the primary way to faith. Family relationships remain the number one bridge people traverse to Christ. We are the bridges of God. We are the bridges of God. Say that out loud. I am a bridge of God. I am a bridge of God. I am a bridge of God. And the thing about bridges is when you think about them, I don't know what your mind goes to. Some are big and some are small. Some are made of different materials. But the thing with bridges is they have this function to get people from one place to another for their own safety. So every bridge that you can conjure up, they all serve that basic function. And if this research is correct, then it, though sharing Christ with our mailman or our neighbor is, is not a bad thing to do, we need to start with those closest to us, the children under our care, the people who we share life with, opening the scriptures, telling my story of faith so that as I experience the power of God, I might have something to share imperfectly, the perfect love of God. We are the bridges of God. And so just some practical things I want you to be thinking about. For some of you this morning, I just, I need to encourage you to press into God's power and to start with maybe evangelizing yourself this morning. Lord Jesus, let me experience more of your power source. I've been sitting in the dark for a while. For others, pray and listen for who to share Christ with. Push out, but think about who's already closest to you. Third, be thinking for ways to speak Jesus to those close. Who do I need to bridge Christ to even as we approach Easter this year? And lastly, share your story. How did you receive Christ? Who, who shared, who was a bridge of God for you? And how did your life change because of it? When we're telling our story, the world becomes saturated. 
So today I want to commission you. And I want to tell you that we need to do better as a church. You're commissioned. It's not the pastors of this church who will create a Jesus movement. It's, it's you all. You are the women and men, the disciples of this church. And we want to do things categorically different to encourage you to share your faith easier. Yesterday I was broken down on the side of I-5 and uh, in my 20-year-old suburban and it's feeling like a little bit of a failure. I had to call another parent to pick my son up and while the parents are rolling into the premier soccer fields in their you know, expensive cars, here his dad is you know, with a broken down car. And then the, you know, I get my kids out of the vehicle. Now I have to stay there for an hour until a tow truck shows up and I get picked up by this guy. I'll call him Bill. He's from a different country in Africa. And as he hooks up my tow truck, he starts telling me about, yeah, it's a, it's a hard world, but Jesus is powerful. He's sharing the gospel with me. I'm sharing the gospel. <clears throat> How, why do you share Jesus? Oh, man, because life is hard, but Jesus is so good. I'm like, do you have opportunities to share Jesus? Like, pretty much every day, man, people get in my tow truck, they're pretty down and out. I get an opportunity to share. And I'm feeling really low about myself. He says... What do you do for work? I'm like, I'm a fisherman. <laughs> now I'm a poor pastor and I'm a liar. I mean, I fish. But... Tell me, where do you get your power from? He's like, well, it was my grandfather in Africa. He just tell me Jesus stories all the time. He started telling me that, you know, that's where he was shared with. It was his family of faith. So it's closest to us. We need to be most responsible to share Jesus with. Church, we want to do this better. We want to do this better. We want to be sharing Christ. And if you're here this morning hungry for more of his power, I, I want to share that with you. The Spirit of God wants to encounter you this morning. And if you're thinking about people closest to us, the children under your care, your spouse, a good friend, somebody in your family that God is calling you to, to build a bridge to, I want you to hear that question this morning. Who will you be praying for in the season of Lent? Who will you be praying for and dreaming about their encounter with the Spirit of God? Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning and the challenge to be sharing our faith. We know that for many of us, it's a, it's a scary proposition, and you remind us in Romans 15, it really is our call, that we're all commissioned in the church to be sharing of what you've given to us so freely. And so like a share of Google that hasn't been shared with us, look, God, we want to tap into the power source to see the value there. And then give us, the, give us through that power the encouragement to trust that you're working in our life and progress over plans. And allow us to tap into just in praying for people around us, Lord, and sharing our story of faith. You really, Lord, will do the rest of the work. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you've given us this commission. And all God's people said, Amen. Will you close with us, or stand with us as we close in song? And I want that question to be just kind of permeating your head. Who is right now the Spirit of God telling you, I want to be praying for them in Lent. I want to be praying for them. It's a child that I'm raising. It's my spouse. It's a neighbor. It's somebody I love. God, use me as a bridge of God. Lord Jesus, may the Spirit so change us that through that power experience, we'll have something to show the world. Let's close in song together.